Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There are so many things that we're all implicated in every day that we know are shitty. We know that when we we order from Amazon or we take an Uber that we are we are taking part in in, in a process that somewhere along the chain someone's getting exploited and, and it's shitty. And and increasingly we know that that applies to our media consumption as well. I think the the glamour around this industry is pretty much gone and we know that when we read a news story or listen to a podcast, we are probably consuming a product that was made by people who are getting exploited. And and just as as many of us kind of just hold our noses and continue to order from Amazon or take Ubers or whatever, I think we're increasingly getting the idea that the same dynamics apply to, to media, that if you want to be informed or if you want to be entertained, um, that just sort of comes with the product, like this, this kind of icky sense of complicity with a shitty industry. And I'm telling you this because I want you to know that it does not have to be shitty. Canada land is not shitty to its employees. I, I couldn't always say that. At first, it was just like, what is the least amount of money that everybody here will work for? And, th- and that included me. But year after year, it has gotten better and better. 10% raises one year, 14% raises the next. Uh, health benefits, job security. People who work here... I've seen as they've gotten married and bought homes and had kids. Um, It's a place where you can have a career. So now we are better than some of the very big companies in terms of how we compensate our people and how we treat them. But we're still not as good as others. And my promise to our team here is that the goal is not to live up to the standards set by other Canadian media companies because the standards are kind of shitty. Our goal is to exceed them. I want this to be the best place to work in Canadian media. If that's going to be the case, we have a long way to go. And if that's going to be the case, it's only going to happen because you help us. That's how it's worked year after year. I have made appeals to you to help me make this a better workplace. uh, And I I think that works for you too, because nobody wants to feel bad about the product they're consuming. You do not have much power over what Amazon does, but you do have very direct power over what Canada Land does. It's very simple. If enough of you support us, then everybody here except for me 
gets a raise this year and the standards here go up for freelancers, contractors, and our staff. And that is the goal that we're heading towards and we absolutely need you to kick in if that's something that matters to you. We also have perks like ad-free versions of all of our podcasts and bottle openers and t-shirts and tote bags and our book. We just put our book back in our Patreon. Please go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Again, there's a ways to go. Welcome everybody who has signed up, hundreds of you, in the last uh, week or two. We need a, a lot more of you to do so. Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Thank you. Sarah Haji. Hey, what's up? <laughs> former staff writer of Fresh Daily, grand opening, grand closing. Too soon? <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, uh, nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about the, the website where you were briefly employed, Fresh Daily. What the hell happened? It was supposed to be Canada's deadspin. Yeah, it was supposed to be Canada's a lot of things. We will also talk about Elizabeth May's parting shot at the media. It's good to have you back. Thanks. It's great to be here. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Joshua Lee, Jordan Rosman, Henry Adam Sveck, Carr Berater, haha, Patrick Bradley, Lauren DiNapoli, John Sousa, and Nick Cluley. Hey, this is Nick Cluley in Victoria on Lekwungen Territory. I support Canada Land because it's a rare space in Canadian media that actually questions and offers intelligent criticism of the power structures in this country. So if I donated to Canada Land and it was huge ass, you'd be like, huge ass. I will absolutely uh, <laughs> thank huge ass if you do that. And I'll know, I'll know that it was you, Sarah. <laughs> I think that before we tell everybody how everything went to hell at Fresh Daily, we have to tell people what Fresh Daily was supposed to be or or was or is. I'm confused. Can you set this up? What's the deal? Yeah, I'm going to try and be as brief as possible because there was so much. So essentially, the owner of BlogTO, Tim Shore, uh, so he's the only owner of BlogTO, obviously hugely successful. Whatever you think of BlogTO, like you're probably on it at some point during the day. A lot of people listening to this outside of Ontario will might not know that it's oh. a clickable, shareable content. The most comparable thing would be something like Narcity or Daily Hive, where BlogTO on its own is its own kind of like very Toronto and I guess sometimes Ontario-centric website where uh, you know what's open and closed on holidays. The hottest restaurants that are opening, uh, restaurants that are closing, like it's a lot of like clickable, shareable kind of stuff. Uh, viral videos that took place in Toronto, not necessarily focused on quality of writing, but more just quantity and getting people kind of information that they could easily retweet or share on Facebook. We never really talked about it, but it is, as I understand it, a successful Canadian media company. Oh, extremely successful, extremely successful. I mean, like they made money off video in a way that other people haven't. Like they, they make money. They're very profitable. So I was approached by another writer who was doing like some of the... I guess hiring for Tim, Canadian media, especially in Toronto, is very small. Like everyone knows each other or knows of each other. Like, you know, it's not like even if you haven't met someone, you're still like, oh, yeah, like I know you. Um, it's very small in that I'm pretty sure you're talking about Sean Craig, who used to yes. work here. <laughs> so I was, I am talking about Sean Craig, and he and I have had similar experiences with different media companies or whatever. 
he's a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, he was like, so this thing is starting up. It's going to be like, we, there was no name yet, but the only owner was going to be Tim. The only owner is Tim. And it's kind of aimed to be like, bloggy and newsy at the same time so kind of capturing what blog to has and that there's like a lot of quick kind of short posts and then kind of establishing a voice in a way that other websites like for example again to draw the comparison to narcity where it does have the national focus but they don't really have essays or i would say like high quality voicey writing and of course there's like a shortage of media jobs <laughs> all over but I feel in Toronto where I live you know specifically like it's it's almost impossible to get a full-time job so even though I'm not necessarily a fan of blog to it's not something I would want to write for or associate my name with um, based on the writing I do and everything I was pretty like cautiously optimistic you know we met and talked about this like and Sean at that point wasn't sure if he was going to work there or whatever but you know, we, we talked and I and then I ended up talking with uh, Tim. What I did like about it was he wanted to hire me for a reason. And it wasn't just because he wanted um, kind of like quick content or aggregated news or anything. Like he knew my voice. He knew the kind of places I've written for. He knew my, my name and the kind of stuff I'd want to do. Well, I mean, you know, looking at it, it was an interesting project because it's like, okay, you've got this proven formula for you know like the, like just how to make money off of content you've done it with blog to and rather than a very high-minded like you know we, we we found somebody to do like the walrus for millennials we're going to take this commercial format but I, I i was noticing like wow like sarah haji sean craig and and then jaron kerr who yeah. left who left us to go work for this i'm like they seem to actually care about getting some real writing mm-hmm. and reporting talent in there and i like when media rather than take like start off with that high ground approach a mass audience in a friendly commercial way, but have the firepower to actually do really substantive stuff. I'm like, this this actually is something to watch. When we were talking about like what it would be like, it was very comparable to, I mean, what, what I saw with something that had kind of like quick news bloggy type of stuff. Plus, you know, you'd go on it for features, you know, a lot of websites that are so beloved and unfortunately don't exist anymore. Something like Splinter, which was like, in my opinion, just like it was a great website to go on and you'd be able to read something quick and whatever, funny. And then there'd be like a, a nice, like an essay where you're learning something or something like Deadspin or like how Gawker was, where it was that mix of, again, quick blogging and features. So that really appealed to me mm-hmm. and my sensibilities because that's something I want to do both of. And as a freelancer, it's extremely hard to be able to do things that are very timely because you have to be communicating with an editor who already has a job, who has their own staff, and it it's just very hard to time. So I wanted something where it'd be a home for my writing. Plus a chance to start at the ground floor of something is kind of exciting. Exactly. So I didn't interview for the job. It was offered to me. The salary I asked for wasn't argued, got it right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seemed like he understood kind of the business side of things and he wanted people who understood media, the media landscape, and how things worked. And he said, I don't want to be a part of this hands-on. Like, I don't want to be uh, leading this editorially. Like, I want you guys to find your voice and to find I, I, pretty much anything you want to hear from someone who's hiring you. It's, it sounds <laughs> too good to be true. I mean, you'd think so, but, you know, I'd ask questions and I would get answers. And then I wasn't – I was optimistic – and I knew that there would be road bumps and 
kind of sorry roadblocks road bumps isn't a phrase i don't think it anyway makes perfect <laughs> sense, though. I, I knew there'd be roadblocks i knew there'd be things that didn't quite work but you know i was willing to get, take the chance i'm a freelancer i was like worst comes to worst if i want to quit i'll quit and another thing that i was told it wasn't in a contract or in writing or anything was that tim was willing to uh, make this work for i think he said he said like two years uh, without it kind of making money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he was willing to work at a loss for a couple of years until this became profitable, which is also something that you want to hear because anyone knows that a website, it's not going to be profitable for a while. Yeah. Um, and he understood that. What's the commitment? What, you know? Yeah. yeah. So in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe I can at least have a job for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And it lasted a month. <laughs> so again, what the hell happened? I, you know, I've never been a boss or have managed anything, but based on my experience and what I saw, the hiring process was very mismanaged in the sense that there were a lot of amazing, like some of the best people I can think of who were in talks of being hired at this place from, they already had jobs as well. Like they, some of them had stable employment already at media companies and they were willing to a lot of people were very, very close to leaving their jobs to work at Fresh Daily. Yeah. Uh, which is honestly so frightening to me. I mean, Jaron already left his job to work for Fresh Daily. Yeah. And then there are so many people, like people with kids, people with mortgages. Because the senior editors had, had yet to be hired. Yes. And they were they were really going for some well known and established people and yeah, saying people who, leave that unionized job. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Come here, the pay will be great. Like I was getting paid well, so I couldn't imagine how well like an editor or managing editor would be getting yeah. paid. And, you know, like I even talked to some people who were I was like, hey, like I heard you're talking uh, to get a job at Fresh Daily. And they'd be like, yeah, like and I and, you know, I'd be honest with them. Like there were a bit of things that I was kind of worried about as far as like content cycle goes. Like, again, you know, when your boss comes from a background where it's post as much as possible um, look at Google Trends, look at this, look at that, put in these keywords. Content and like, farms. Yeah, content farm, like, just kind of, like, churn stuff out. You know, there is some stuff that is a bit worrying and, like, that I was trying to find the balance of, like, mm-hmm. okay, like, I understand websites have to make money and there will be, like, ways to make money, but, like, also kind of what will set us apart, what will make us not a shitty website kind Well, of you don't hire, like, you and, and, and Jaron and Sean if that's the kind of content you want to make. And, and there's, like, BuzzFeed maybe once had its, you know, people, mm-hmm. like, handcuffed to the desk, you know, churning out lists, you know, 100 a day. But uh, if that if that stereotype or, or cliche about them was ever true. But it got to a point where they were hiring, they're doing major investigations. Absolutely. Or they're hiring, like, you know, like, Sachi Cole is writing personal essays and taking a lot of time to make, you know. Like, good, thoughtful work that takes time yeah. to make. And from what I understood, there would have been the core staff of people writing those kind of feature type of things. And then more junior staff who would be doing like daily content, like, you know, three posts, four posts a day kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Where it'd be like, oh, here's a video that was going viral on Twitter, embedding it in the CMS, writing what the video was and then posting it. Well, they had Lauren O'Neill as well, who was kind of like a senior person in that world who, Mm -hmm. who, you know, it wouldn't be by virtue of like pumping out 20 things. It would be like knowing how to properly. Exactly. And they did. And people from Blogtio were supplementing that until we were fully staffed up. So whoever Tim was talking to for managing editor, it fell through completely. Uh, so we were left without a managing editor. <laughs> and you <laughs> launched is, without one. And we launched without one because it was very important 
to launch around election time, which yeah. personally didn't make sense to me because no one's going to go to a new website to read election coverage. Like no one knows what this is. Like who wants election coverage from this website they've never heard of? It's sort of the worst time to launch because it's when people are most, I guess, enmeshed with their with their faves. You know. Yeah. But at that point, we'd been hired on our first day was October 1st. Until the website was launched, it was just losing money because there was nothing to post and there was no team. So it was kind of like, okay, we do this now or why are you here kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And it just slowly everything kind of started getting like progressively. I don't know if I could say worse because like I was we were trying to just kind of like understand like, okay, we were hired for this purpose. This website needs content. We will be doing stuff we don't want to write about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe we can throw in things that would be like establishing our voice or having it's kind of a soft launch. Yeah, like, like, so, were... like a soft, like, you know what I mean? It was. Yeah, it was fine. Like we were like, OK, this is how it is now. Once we get our managing editor and our full team, things will be better. For people who don't know, like often a website or a publication before they actually make a big announcement and publicize that they're there, just start running the thing and get into the rhythm of posting uh, articles yeah. every day. That's a soft launch and to, to kind of get your game up for, for when it actually is kind of go time. And I didn't like I didn't announce the job on Twitter or anything. I didn't say, hey, guys, like I have this new job because, first of all, it's very new. Second of all. Uh, I wasn't doing anything I was proud of yet. Did you know somewhere deep down inside? Were you like, I was kind of like. I guess it's like almost like when someone's pregnant and they don't want to announce it for a few months because they're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you had contracts, <laughs> they leased office space. This was a thing. It felt very real. But in today's media landscape, like, you know, it was funny because I was very much I was trying to be as optimistic as possible in the sense that, OK, I shouldn't have to feel I shouldn't put myself in a negative mind, mindset until there's reason to. Like, and you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to create kind of negativity for myself yeah. until I feel like I have to. But deep down, I was like, oh, I feel so stupid for being optimistic about this because, you I'm know, so like, sorry, but... you know, it's just it just feels so like stupid after a while. So last week, Sean, as in the Canada Land article, he left for totally different reasons. I always like raise an eyebrow when I read that totally. It, no, reason. it was honestly like. It was his own thing. Like, it, okay. it wasn't anything to do with, like, uh, company drama or anything like that. Totally okay. unrelated to any of these events. So it was just me and Jaren, <laughs> who were staff. And we were, like, I speaking for myself, I was just kind of like, oh, shit, like, what's going to happen now? But also, you know, I would talk to people I knew who were, who had, who were older than me and had so much more work experience in media. And they were like, Sarah, this has been up for two weeks. No one is stupid enough. <laughs> to just end something after two weeks and fire you. Like, this was last week, me being like, oh, like, I feel so weird about things. Like, no one's been hired yet. And, like, I can't do certain things without a managing editor. And everyone was like, no, like, this is just how things start off. Like, every- everywhere, like, the first month is hard. The first two months are hard. And I'm like, ah. These are people trying to be your friends saying, don't be such a pessimistic person. A good <laughs> thing is happening. Have patience. Take a moment to enjoy something. And... and- your worst, your worst conception of how things always fall apart. Yeah, was, and so the, on Friday yeah. we had these meetings. I had a one-on-one meeting um, where it's kind of he was like, "How do you feel about everything?" And I was like, "You know, I feel very optimistic still, even though there have been so many roadblocks. Like, I do feel like this is something that has potential. I know you hired me for a reason. Like, clearly you don't want me to be writing like three, you know, blog like blog posts about." 
fall colors a day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is that literally what you were writing? Like, no, what, no, I wasn't literally writing that. What but were you it, writing? I, I, was, I wrote things like, okay, I wrote this one piece that was actually an essay about spam phone calls, which mm-hmm. I was... Like, again, I was, like, almost too scared to share it because I didn't have, like, a managing editor looking over it. And, you know, I don't know. Like, for those who don't know, the writing process between a writer and an editor, if it's good, then you're doing a lot of back and forth. And they're giving you a lot of uh, – they're asking you questions. They're, inc- they're they're making you think about things in a different way when you send them a draft where they'll be, you know, highlighting a paragraph, asking you to unpack things. And it was just very hard to do that level of writing that I I enjoy doing without that without an editor. Mm-hmm. Even on Friday, he asked me like, "So, do you know anyone who you think should be managing editor? Like, is there anyone I should be contacting?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think you should contact so and so again that you're talking to before because they're really great and blah blah blah." Uh, and it was someone I had talked to. And again, like in my mind now, I'm like, had these some of these people left their jobs? Like, they that would have been the biggest mistake, you know. And so Friday, I left work feeling okay. Like, I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about things. Like, we're seeing eye to eye on where this is going. <laughs> Monday, which is two days ago and feels like forever ago at this point. I went to work like normal. I worked until 2 p.m. <laughs> and then um, he met with me and was like, you know, I've been thinking about it over the weekend. And this is just not something that is really working. Like, I'm, I'm not quoting him directly because also I was just kind of like, okay, yep, yep, because I just wanted the situation to end fully. Like, I was like, cool, understand, like, kind of just, like, stop talking so I can get the hell out of here. As soon as your worst fears were kind of confirmed, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's sh- shutting this. Yeah, and it was, he was, you know, like, you know, this is just what has to happen because, um, you know, this isn't just, like, what I was seeing and I don't have the time to be uh, on this in the way that, like, I, that I should be kind of thing where like there's no managing editor he was the one who was directing us editorially editorially and saying yes and no to things sometimes you kind of back up though because I, I okay th- first of all this is what he told us when Jonathan Goldsby wrote a, a quick news piece when word of this came and this just happened a few days ago he said he, he does not say that he's shutting it down and in fact the account's been tweeting so uh Tim Shore told Canada Land I would say it wasn't my objective to launch a site and within two weeks have so many staffing changes. But unfortunately, that's what happened and we have to move on, basically. So the suggestion there is we're not shutting this down. We just made some staffing changes. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of what he was saying in so many words was, you know, we're going to continue with the site, but it's just not going to be what we talked about. Meaning, I think he just wants at this point for it to be blog to national you know like a uh-huh. national version of blog to type but he, he was unable to get a managing editor and so he just laid off everyone that's my understanding is that yeah the staffing was done it was poorly staffed it wasn't and there are people who have been dming me like yeah i was in talks with him and i never heard anything back yeah you know what i mean like the suggestion i, I that i take from this all is that like he's it's not that he's going to get rid of you and get somebody else in that place. It's going to, he's going to find a much cheaper model to somehow yeah, feed and, this thing. You know, he said to us many times, if I wanted people who were going to be just turning out five pieces, I wouldn't have hired you guys. I could have hired someone straight out of school who would be doing this for much cheaper. And there are people at Blockchain who are getting paid probably around half of what I was getting paid. And now they're, I guess, doing double duty. If I look at the website, they're writing for both Blogtio and Fresh Daily. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, so I understand now. You don't want us because you paid us too much money 
and you can't handle what you promised. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, by the way, uh, this is, uh, you know, and that goes to everyone else involved. Um, it's awful. What's to be taken from this? I mean, this this played out the same week. We were joking around about Deadspin. Of course, that's the U.S. Um, sports site that under new management got, you know, like they inherited the ethos of, of Gawker and they're kind of from that divination and I'm not a sports guy, but sometimes I find myself reading Deadspin because they didn't always write about sports. They had a really kind of very, very smart and incisive look at a lot of different things. And, um, you know, it was just a very respected outfit. And, and then they were given orders for management to stick to sports from now on. And they published a lot of stuff that was having a lot of fun uh, at, at management's expense. But then they all just quit. And uh, there's a wider conversation happening about how shitty management is is part of the problem that, that it's it's not just about the best people or or, or even like business models and you know google and facebook's effect um you know or maybe it is maybe that because of that effect we're kind of left in in the hands of shitty management but but there are things that kind of worked and were you know people always bring up like gawker always made money there like there are ways to do this and, and turn a profit but some somehow something in the kind of like horse trading of media sites and acquisitions and speculation. And then, of course, you've got just bizarro stuff like the Peter Thiel situation with Gawker. Like, all these other influences come in. And I think that because those that do make a profit, the profit margins are so small, we don't really fit into this wider, glitzy uh, tech era of profits. Like, we're, like, we're kind of like modest moneymakers when we can figure it out. But that, like, it seems like we're vulnerable. I don't know. Like, is there a wider thing here? Like, I, I sort of see oh, a bit of a pattern. Absolutely, there's a wider thing. You know, this happened... And honestly, I was treated as someone who's disposable. You know, again, I'm speaking for myself, but I see it as, you know, Jaron and I were treated as people who are disposable mm -hmm. in the sense that beyond looking at things in a business type of way, of course, businesses, if you're starting a business in our world, it has to be profitable, clearly. And I, I totally get that. This didn't seem like it was about profits or making money. In the sense, like, we weren't making money. Nothing makes money in two weeks. Um, it was more kind of like, eh, I don't really think this is working the way I wanted to. Bye. You know? That's that, just how um, casual. It, it, it's very casual. It was very it was very casual. Um, again, like, I, I also can't speak for Tim or what he thought about or um, what led him to make this decision. And two days after talking to one of his employees about, uh, you know, Okay, cool. Like I think we're on the same page. Who should I be hiring? Yeah, uh, I don't know what happened. I've decided no one. Forty-eight hours. Yeah. The thing is, this kind of world of media, people who are writers and people who are you know creating what people consume are seen as disposable. It doesn't matter that someone left their job to work for you and that you promised a vision that clearly you didn't really want to work hard enough. Mm -hmm to you know uh to kind of realize or anything and it, it was just kind of like well i wasted a month of your life mm -hmm. and i think you like sorry like it's over now and it's kind of just this very highly capitalistic way of viewing you know workers and people who you employ where it it their real lives don't matter. I mean, it did. It happened to someone who's a friend and a colleague of mine. You know, like that's that's Jaron. You know, like, yeah. And it's 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 insane. Like it could have happened to so many different people. Honestly, like it it truly like 
makes me sick to think about the people I talk to about this job who were behind the scenes like thinking of maybe talking to Tim or Tim was going to talk to them and me being like, hey, like, I think maybe this could be worth it because I was led to believe that and I was I would have felt so guilty in a way. Yeah. uh, Even though it doesn't have anything to do with me. What I'm trying to say is, I guess, and this is something that a friend of mine who's a labor organizer uh, who unionized MTV before they laid everyone off in their pivot to video, Haley Melodic, she's a writer as well. And I was talking to her about this and I tweeted this. I was talking to her about just like employment versus freelancing and just kind of how the media landscape is right now, where it's so jobs are so scarce that they're seen as this incredible prize. And she was just kind of pointed out, like, isn't it insane that a job is the reward and, you know, being an independent writer or freelancer, that's the punishment. Yeah. So unless you are employed, your punishment is that you're working for yourself. Like working for someone else is the is the prize you get for working hard. The one thing I see that gives me a bit of hope is that people who set their sights modestly can not only turn a profit, but create media on a level of like an employee owned local newspaper. If you're not trying to build an empire and and if you have the direct relationship with your audience, like or journalists one on one building economic models with their with their audience and and their you know and their subject matter simultaneously. like those things like like as long as we keep trying to shoot for like acting as if we're like tech startups, well, the thing is that's what I saw with Fresh Daily, the goals were very modest. The initial team was supposed to be seven people. Yeah, we had the funding. We had all the tools to become a really amazing place, like a really amazing destination with great voices. The people who were in talks to be hired, I cannot even tell you how talented they are. It would have been an amazing, diverse team of some of the best writers Mm -hmm. like in Canada, really. And that's what could have happened. And it didn't. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated, and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Okay, Sarah, we duly note things that uh, perhaps would otherwise just whiz past people's consciousness. And uh, I have something to duly note. Go for it. Okay, so by now I think probably everybody listening to this is aware that we have uh, dangerous unsafe levels of lead in the drinking water of 11 Canadian cities, Regina, Montreal, this major investigation that was conducted between um, Toronto Star and the Associated Press and the investigative group at Concordia. They unveiled earlier this week this major project they've been working on uh, that that is like 
if you think about journalism from just like a, a public responsibility, like like what do we have to tell? Like things are happening in the world, and from a public safety perspective, holy shit! Stop drinking the water if you live in these cities. That's a major revelation. And I started to get um, tweets and emails as that news cycle that day um, went on, saying, "Hey, how come this Toronto Star story cannot be found on the CBC's website?" And then I went and I looked at the Globe and Mail's website, and it wasn't on the Globe and Mail's website. And then I went to the National Post, and it wasn't on the National Post website. And before everybody uh, asks me and says, it absolutely is on all those places now, that day, it was not. And you could chalk that up to just like our resources being thin and, and places uh, taking a while to get there. But I think Canadians had that news for hours and hours before uh, those news organizations picked up that story and I speculated like I, I wonder if this has something to do with it being kind of like a proprietary uh, Toronto Star thing where other news organizations are saying like hell we're not going to be boosting mm -hmm. your prestige story that you've put all of your enterprise bucks into we've got our own story that we're going to want a mission reward for and uh, we're saving our our you know our reach for that um, and then and then you know other people are saying like I don't know uh, the science of this is uh is questionable and the Toronto Star has a history of kind of like public health scares when they falsely reported that the you know the the HPV vaccine is is linked to autism which, which was the only conclusion you could take from this major very dangerous story and uh I don't know I just wanted to duly note that like there was a time earlier this week when the Guardian newspaper and the BBC were telling the world you can't drink the drinking water in 11 Canadian cities and the Globe and Mail and the CBC were not spreading that news. And I'm kind of opening that up for people's contemplation, consideration, and also my inbox is open to, to fight, figure out things about that. Duly noted. Sarah, what do you have for us today? Something that's been in the news a lot more than uh, unsafe drinking water is Wexit. The <laughs> Wexit? It's called Wexit, right? Wexit. 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 Well, yeah. The it never gets... It never sounds. It like sounds a like real I'm saying it, okay because it's not a real thing. Uh, I just think it's so incredibly stupid. You know, it is a small group of people in Alberta. It's a it's a small group. It's like they had a rally and it was 700 people there. If you think about all of Alberta, like that's not that sh that's not a huge deal. That's a fringe group of weirdos wearing "Make Alberta Great Again" hats who are like. Yeah, we don't we shouldn't let Ontario decide what happens. And their solution to this is being their like separating from Canada rather than being like, hey, we should talk about electoral reform, maybe, and like change the system so that a small part, like a like a small region of the country isn't making decisions for everyone. And to me, it's just so stupid. I feel like every media like Canadian media thing is latching onto this like it's a real thing. When it's not, they shouldn't be legitimized in any way. Also, Vice Canada reported yeah. that they do have these white supremacist ties. Yeah, Stephen Joe did the work, and and you know you'll you'll see these people interviewed on the CBC as here's a Wexit leader, and the fact that his like right hand man has no neo Nazi links. And you're like, like, are we legitimizing these people again? Like, did we learn nothing from these recent Richard Spencer videos, where I mean, clearly that guy was going on rants about Jewish people, like, surprise, he's yeah. racist. And it's kind of like we're legitimizing these idiots on the news by interviewing them and making them seem like they're thought leaders. Like, they're not. 
it's never going to happen. And we're making it seem like it's something that will happen that, oh, man, maybe Alberta is going to leave. No, they're not. Like, it's like I will eat my shoe if that happens in my lifetime. <laughs> and it, it's so uh, stupid to me. All right. We'll hold you to it. Duly noted. Perfect. <laughs> So Elizabeth May has stepped down as leader of the Green Party, and as she did so, she had some words for we, the media. Now that I'm um, not leader of the Green Party of Canada, I hold the media to account for failure to deal with the science in the course of this campaign, for continuing to talk about climate change as though people understood it. It's as if we were having a debate on the economy where no one in the room understood inflation. Now that I'm leaving this relationship, let me tell you what I really think of you. <laughs> Fair? Yeah. Fair. I'd say it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. No. I don't think climate change is taken nearly seriously enough by any major Canadian media organization. You know, her, her remarks were specific to, I think, Understanding. Uh, the yeah. election campaign. Mm -hmm. But I think whether you look at the way that we treated climate change in the election or whether you look at the way we treat climate change in all the coverage, fair. You know, I mean, like it, it probably got it more more time in debates and in coverage than it has in previous cycles. But that's a pretty terrible standard when you consider like it, it sort of dwarfs everything else that we might be talking about. Our producer, Tiffany, brought my attention to um, this incredible report, not from the Canadian media, uh, from the Washington Post. They did a podcast about how Canada is already crumbling into the ocean. The Magdalene Islands, like they, they lost 50 feet in one storm. Oh, geez. Like they're just watching the land that they live on uh, disappear. These uh, little group of islands are really experiencing a growing battle against erosion, a lot more flooding. And, you know, when you're there, you get this sense of the urgency and immediacy of this because everywhere you look is the ocean. It's a small place, and from everywhere you look is the sea, and there's nowhere, as one person told me, there's nowhere to hide. So, fair. Fair. Elizabeth yeah, May. I would definitely say it's, yeah, she's she's not wrong there. I mean, and you, you can look at it in terms of, and I think we should increasingly be looking at it in terms of coverage of other things. So when we... When we talk about, as BNN Bloomberg uh, puts it when talking about how difficult it is for the oil patch to get access to capital when they were talking to Pengrowth CEO, like you do a story about how like, damn, you know, like that oil patch can't get money the way they used to. What's up with that? Or if we talk about Encana leaving Canada and everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, boy, Trudeau really fucked this one up. Like, uh, this is terrible. That this loss. company is, yeah. you know, and that company has its own problems and uh, the media maybe has jumped a little bit too zealously to pin that on this government and not, you know, blame Encana. But however you look at that coverage, we don't let climate be a part of it. We, we, we're acting as if these business concerns are somehow hermetically sealed from the yeah. wider context. I guess it, I feel like nobody, it's like kind of one of those things where it's like, should we be taking responsibility for this? I feel like a lot of climate coverage tiptoes around, you know, what causes it, you know, capitalism, <laughs> you know, uh, it's and pinning it on things that are more easy, like individual choice, where it's, you know, use your metal straw and you'll save a turtle or whatever. Right. Right. Um, and I think that it, you know, when we talk about climate change, there's so much more we have to talk about, which is, you know, what causes it, how, you know, the rich have let us get to this point where, uh, you know, Canada is being destroyed and kind of taking people to task in a way that I don't think a lot of places 
really want to get into or I don't think people want to think about it in that sense. You know, I feel like a lot of like people have to kind of like radicalize themselves into thinking about things differently if they really want to talk about climate change in a real way. So when Elizabeth May says something like, you know, we're talking about it like it's the economy and like a lot of people don't understand the economy or whatever. Yeah, it's totally true because, you know, we're failing to let people know the real causes and to really talk about things in a real way because it makes it scares people. Yeah, it scares me. And, and I'm, I'm you know, it's easy to take shots. But the truth is, like, I'm having this kind of like protracted narrative over the course of like anything we talk about uh, on these two shows a week where I'm trying to wrap my head around like I can criticize how they're doing a poor job. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around how you do a good job. Because the truth is, like, you're talking about how if we talk about how capitalism causes climate change, how do we reflect that in the business section? Yeah, exactly. The like, business section is not built to decry capitalism. And all of our systems are not really equipped. To, like, democracy and, you know, four-year cycles of government and, you know, the nation state are not really equipped to tackle this problem. Capitalism is not equipped to tackle it and, you know causes it and uh journalism the way that we look at stories the way that we what we deem to be a story like uh, this is you know at my pay grade i'm just trying to figure out how do you tell these stories and some of it is just like simple the way you do any other story the way that the washington post told the story of the magdalene islands you go there and you talk about what's happening but you know the fact that it is undeniably a factor in anything you look at you like like it's getting it's getting it's not sort of like an activist's lament why can't the business section talk about uh, climate change that would have been a dumb idea to, to you know a few years ago but now it's just like well no there are economic consequences there's a reason why you can't get funding for the oil sands everyone understands that we're going to be pulling back from fossil fuels so it's becoming more absurd for these stories to not have any element of their coverage that recognizes this yeah i mean again people have to as much as they have to like learn about climate change like you probably have to unlearn a lot about what you think is right or wrong and how the world's being run, you know? Um, and I, I, again, it's kind of like talking about anything that you might have um, like a part of, you know, when people talk about, for example, something like race or privilege, nobody really wants to see like, oh, like this is how everything that's happened in my life has affected this kind of problem or everything I think kind of falls into this I hate this word, but like problematic behavior. You know what I mean? Nobody really, I feel like it's, I mean, it's generalization to say nobody, but it is very difficult to start looking at things differently in a way that will change your life. And I think that a lot of, it's difficult for media organizations to know how to navigate that. Like, how are we going to report on this? You know, people don't want to also feel hopeless, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you report on something with, you know, trying to make people feel like, oh, wait, there's still reason to live, though, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and like not our job. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> it, but it's kind of like no one's going to like, will people want to read that? Like, yeah, you know, I feel like there's like there's just so many factors in it. And it's something that uh, I don't know. People cannot address in a proper way. And it's it's getting too late. Well, we, we just have an insulting uh, attitude towards our, our audiences uh, where, where you know, if it's like, what can I do? We're very comfortable with this sort of like we have this idea of some like 
Joe lunchbox or like yeah. what, what can mom do about this? But when, when you get to the point like, well, what you can do is get really angry and take to the streets, which people want to do and are capable of doing and uh, have done to the tune of a million people. The, the media, I, I think, is, 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 is terrified of pointing anyone in that direction or, or even really operating as if that's like an option in our toolbox, like uh, an option in our toolbox, a tool in our toolbox. <laughs> like as if that's something that citizens can do is, is to yeah. resist or protest is like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Also, whoa. I think there's like a very... I think traditional media organizations, they feel like there's a line between like, you know, activism and reality. You know what I mean? Where it's, okay, are we going to say things in this way and then kind of make, like take an activist viewpoint? Right. When that's just the reality of what's happening. But I think it's, uh, it's this like weird way to try and seem objective. Like there are two sides to something. Like there aren't two sides to climate change. Like it's happening. You know, it's not, we don't have to look at it like it's like well if it is happening then this and this it's like no this is what's going on and it's not about activism or anything anymore it's affecting all of us it's it when when, you know your home is underwater it's just is yeah you know it's it's, you could be left or right it's your underwater yes sarah thank you thanks that's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send us. There's that two-week period that you tweeted about, Sarah, where everybody reaches out and says, oh, you've got nothing to worry about. You're going to get hired. Um, where can people reach you? Uh, as we discuss, I don't have a website. Uh, I am on Twitter, twitter.com slash geekinglonglegs. I also have an email that is in my Twitter bio if you want to email me. I would love to be paid for something. So, <laughs> do not waste this person's time. Yes, yeah, uh, so don't email me unless you're offering me money. Geeky really. long legs <laughs> on Twitter. If you are listening to this Thursday morning, there is still time to come catch our live show at the Hot Dogs Podcast Festival tonight at 9:30 p.m. All of our shows are going to be on stage, and we will be announcing a brand new investigative podcast at that show. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to sustain journalism in your country, one way you can do that is by supporting us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.